Welcome to the Bitcoin Dad Pod. This is a special episode focused on self-custody and setting up your first wallet. This was originally part of our weekly episode with Chris, but it went very long and we realized this might be a useful resource if you're concerned about getting your Bitcoins off exchanges during this moment of market volatility and panic. So we broke it out. You can use this as a resource. There's a bunch of tools and articles listed in the show notes. So give them all a look, see if there's anything useful there, and feel free to jump into the JB Bitcoin Matrix channel to ask questions if you run into trouble. We'll leave links to all of that in the show notes. Hope this is useful. Because of the current volatility in crypto markets and the, is it a 50%? It's not a 50% fall in Bitcoin's price, like a 30% fall. Recently, but I think if you were to go from the all-time high, yes, it's it's a 50% drop if you were to go from November. Okay. I thought we would think about this in two parts. The first part is let's think about habits. Let's think about controlling our minds because we know that panic is bad. Being calm, collected, and thoughtful is good. So let's talk about how we act calmly if we're nervous about things that are happening in the market. And then let's talk about wallets, because I think a lot of people have been buying Bitcoin as it's been going up, and they've got their Bitcoin on an exchange, and then they read the news that Coinbase has clarified in an SEC filing that if they ever run into trouble and go bankrupt, they're just going to seize all of their customers' Bitcoin, and then the customers are going to be completely out of luck. And this scared people, because when Coinbase IPO'd, I think their stock was somewhere in the $400 territory and right about now it's in the $40 territory and it went even lower. And so this update to their SEC filing came out right as their stock was just tanking. And they somehow lost $400 million in the last three months. What? How do you do that? I don't understand what their cost is. They just run a couple servers. <laughs> it takes a lot of resources to run all those uh, Ethereum-based blockchains. <laughs> I guess they must be taking these losses on trading altcoins against their customers, maybe. Could be. You know, it, I could. I mean, who knows, right? Like, I could actually see the infrastructure cost to support that casino of altcoins. I could actually see that being pretty expensive. Oh, right. Because they require just big, dumb virtual machines with lots of horsepower mm -hmm. to keep it going. And then, oh, we have to have it fail over because we need to restart this thing every 10 minutes. And, and then trying to keep track of all those transactions in their own database, too, is probably a massive amount of input output. Like, it's probably crazy. You know, and the reality is, is that all they really said is that if we go into bankruptcy, uh, we sell our customers Bitcoin first as part of that. But I actually suspect that would tr be true for your Celsius, your Nexios, maybe even all of your other crypto exchanges. At this, The reason why they put this in there wasn't because it was a new policy. It was because the SEC just contacted them and said, you need to be more clear about this. Yeah. And this is not a surprise to Chris or I. Because we know that when your Bitcoin is on an exchange, you do not own it. You have a claim on it. And exchanges have failed a lot in the past. And no one who had their Bitcoin on an exchange that failed got an email a week later and said, hey, sorry about that disruption in service. Uh, where should we send your Bitcoin? That <laughs> never happens. I'm still waiting for my Mt. Gox Bitcoin. <laughs> I know. That was seven years ago, right? Yeah. And I think the way to think about this is, um, you know, you could call it an IOU. But the reality is, is that it's their key. It's their key. They're just showing the balance on the web interface for you. It's their Bitcoin. It's not until you withdraw it that it's your Bitcoin. Right. The Bitcoin network sees that Bitcoin as belonging to Coinbase. 
Bitcoin, you don't get Bitcoin property rights until that Bitcoin goes into your wallet. Right. That's the thing you got to understand. The blockchain, as far as they're concerned, that's Coinbase's, not yours, or whatever your exchange might be. I mean, I'm even including, when I say exchange, I'm even including things like the Cash App, Strike, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's Cash App's Bitcoin. That's not your Bitcoin. So if you have your Bitcoin on an exchange, on a third party's wallet, you've got custody risk because they could run away with it. They could go bankrupt. I think you also have regulatory risk because if they get a court order that says, you know, because we're concerned about market conditions, we don't want anyone withdrawing Bitcoin from your app. Just sit on that until further notice. They're going to comply. So there's a lot of risk having other people hold your Bitcoin. Yeah, that withdrawal button could be turned off and then you just wouldn't be able to get to it. And I think the other thing to consider too is because of the potential and almost always likely volatility that we eventually seem to hit, these volatile times are also a tricky time to get your coins out, especially when, you're, when you get off onto the altcoins. They can sometimes have blockchain congestion. It can be a real nightmare. And you can hear horror stories of people waiting multiple days for the coin transfer to go through. So it's also, I think, good to think about this all the time and make it part of a of like a routine and not just something you do when the market conditions get bad. Yeah. And one thing that exchanges do, because let's be honest, do they really have one Bitcoin for every Bitcoin they owe their customers? No way. No way. That would be so silly. 90% of people lose all their money on these exchanges. So why would they operate as if 90% or 100% of people are going to take their funds off? And so what this means is you can have bank runs on these exchanges. And so you do not want to participate in a bank run because it's always easy to get in, but that exit door is always very small and it's hard to squeeze through. And most people don't make it. So just do yourself a favor. Take your Bitcoin off exchange. Make it a habit. If you buy Bitcoin, maybe you buy 10 bucks. Okay, maybe you don't take 10 bucks off the exchange, but if you have, I don't know, 100, 200 bucks, I'd take that off. Yeah, it's better for Bitcoin, too, um, because you're exercising a feature that's super important and that we want to last forever. Because if this is going to be a long term store of value, you need to be able to have sovereignty. And so we have to exercise the sovereignty feature uh, as a user base to make sure that it remains a point of focus. The other thing to consider, too, is if these Coinbase and you know other exchanges can pretend like they have 10,000 Bitcoin, when in reality they only have 1,000 Bitcoin, then it essentially artificially suppresses the price of Bitcoin because it essentially is providing more Bitcoin to the system than really exists because they can let one Bitcoin represent the balance for two users. And so it creates more Bitcoin in the system. It reduces scarcity in a sense. And so when you leave your Bitcoin in the exchange, you're letting them play this game and it, it contributes to price suppression. So by reducing that, by moving your Bitcoin out and holding it in your private wallet, you're reducing their ability to do that. And this sort of rehypothecation or creating paper Bitcoin, this is what happened with the traditional gold market. All gold today in the world is custodied by a third party and they can create more claims against it, less claims against it. They can sort of control the paper supply. And this is why gold failed as a reserve asset, because it was just too easy to manipulate by the incumbents in the current financial system. And if you leave your Bitcoin on an exchange, you are letting that happen to Bitcoin too. And this is my last kind of pitch in this thing is one of the things that keeps me calm 
and gives me peace of mind in a market crash. Like I have got zero worries right now about the price of Bitcoin. And the reason is, is because I have all of my Bitcoin. It's not on exchange. I don't have to worry about that happening, about an exchange taking it, about not getting access to it, about a bank run. None of that. I don't have to worry about it because I've got all of it. Bitcoin's lack of counterparty risk is going to be the thing that brings mainstream adoption, frankly. I think that because you can hold Bitcoin yourself and you don't care if all the Bitcoin banks go bankrupt, that is so powerful and it's subtle. But I think people are only going to get that when traditional financial contagion really takes a chunk out of them and they discover that they were touching a hot stove the whole time but didn't realize. So we're talking about why you want to get off an exchange. Lots of reasons. But there's a habit here. And the habit that we want to share is that you want to be fast to get your Bitcoin off an exchange. And that doesn't mean panic and send it to some shady wallet. We're going to cover how you choose a wallet. But we just want to share that Chris and I have a habit where if there's any money, any Bitcoin that we don't control, we want to quickly get that under our own control. But here's the flip side. Once Bitcoin is under your own control, you want to be super slow, okay? So once you've got Bitcoin on your own wallet, someone says, oh my God, you got to send your Bitcoin somewhere quickly or it's going to be lost. Just ignore them. There's no way, literally no way to steal your Bitcoin on your own wallet unless you've completely screwed up and it's already stolen. Because when you have Bitcoin on your own wallet, it is now protected by public private key cryptography. And so you get this thing called a seed phrase and it's 12 or 24 words. And these words actually encode a massive number called a private key. And this number is so large that uh, it, it, it's basically hiding out there in infinity. And if someone wanted to guess this number, it would take the lifetime of the universe to find it. So there's this interesting phenomenon, which is kind of a mystery, which is why did the universe give us cryptography? Because in every other realm of human endeavor, attack is always better than defense. If you look at modern war, there's literally no defense. Like nothing can stop a sharp piece of metal traveling very, very fast. So if you shoot the piece of metal first, you're going to win that fight, except with cryptography. With cryptography, you can create a secret and all the governments of the world cannot crack it. They'd have to hunt you down and they might do that, but they can't just break it. Cryptography is this weird asymmetric defense. And so that means that once you get Bitcoin on your own wallet, they're either completely safe or they're lost. There's nothing in between. And so you should never rush once you have your own wallet. Yeah, don't even believe something necessarily from the wallet vendor or anything like that. Emails that come in are the most suspicious because nobody really knows who you are. It is true that every Bitcoin wallet address is public, but there's nothing that necessarily ties that back to you when they're looking at the blockchain. So there's no way for them to really know that you need to do something with your Bitcoin. Once you have it, it's yours. And so whenever someone loses their Bitcoin out of self-custody, what actually happened was they were tricked into giving someone their private key or sending their Bitcoin somewhere. You just want to be super slow. If you need to send your Bitcoin somewhere, you can send it today, but you could also send it in three days. You know, and maybe a point to underscore because you were kind of getting there with the seed phrase is your computer could burn to the ground. You could lose your hardware wallet. But if you've got that seed phrase your wallet can be regenerated. And what you have to remember is your wallet doesn't actually hold the Bitcoin. It holds the key to the Bitcoin, which is stored in the blockchain. So when you put that, you get a new computer, you load your wallet back on there, you put your seed phrase in there, it regenerates your private keys in your wallet 
and reconnects you back to your Bitcoin stored in the blockchain. So you don't have to worry about like, well, I have all this Bitcoin and I bring it onto my computer and I lose my computer. It's gone. That's not really how it works anymore. Correct. And of course, it means that that seed phrase is your Bitcoin. So you need to be very careful with this. So you want to store it somewhere very secure. And I guess since we're talking about a seed phrase, let's talk about how you write down a seed phrase, because I think this is actually pretty important. Yeah, okay. So every Bitcoin wallet is going to require that you write down a seed phrase. And so this generally means that if you're using a phone wallet or a computer wallet, you're going to see these seed phrase words on the screen for a moment. And you need to write them down right then. But that moment is a moment of vulnerability because if someone else is watching, they just got your seed phrase. So what do we do? First, if you're using a Bitcoin wallet, I want you to turn off every other application on your computer. I mean, why not? You know, not, a, not, not too much to ask. Just turn off everything else. You could even consider perhaps maybe your Bitcoin wallet is only available to a single user on your computer. It's not the regular user account. So maybe you don't have the regular things that are running. Maybe oh, it's a very stripped down user account. Good call. Yeah, you could create a new user called Bitcoin or Satoshi or something. <laughs> yeah, or call it Ethereum when you're only keeping Bitcoin in there. That'll really throw off the hackers. Call it Doge and then <laughs> no one will care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody wants that. Yeah. Or now actually call it Luna. Luna. Too oh, soon? there you go. Is no, that too soon? No, I think you nailed it. Okay. Yeah. So I've got my cryptocurrency account on my computer. It's called Doquan. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, really, come and write this down. This is a great idea. <laughs> Even on your phone, you know, you can close extra apps on your phone. And obviously, there are no guarantees that the app really closes. You might have Pegasus spyware on your phone, in which case NSO group, corporate spies, yeah. are, they totally have yeah, owned yeah. you. There is a bit of like, how paranoid do I want to be? Uh, I have a friend who has an Android device, they put Lineage on, and that's the only device they interact with their wallet with. It's like a dedicated old Android phone that they put a Lineage OS on. Cool. I don't go that far. That's just, that's a little too paranoid for me. Like, there's a balance between how much I'm willing to, you know, how far I'm willing to go for just life's, life's happiness sake. <laughs> I'm apparently very paranoid then. Yeah, do you do a dedicated device? I don't think Maybe. it's necessarily a bad idea. Maybe I do. I don't think it's a bad idea. I just, not for me. And I think that when you begin... You don't want to make holding your own Bitcoin into this exercise in perfection. Right, because exactly. if it's too stressful, you won't do it. But right now, the crypto world is burning down around you, so might as well hold your own Bitcoin. Well, and once you have your Bitcoin, you can build this system later. Like, you could move it from a software wallet to a hardware wallet. You could move it to a different hardware wallet. Like, you, you can expand upon your system. You're going to get, I want to say, 90% of the benefits by just getting it on your own wallet because you're going to remove the third-party risk, the custody risk of having your Bitcoin on an exchange. And so how do you choose a wallet? Big question. Mm -hmm. Now, I've linked to Bitcoin.org's wallet selector. And actually, this is a little interactive app and you can click through and it'll suggest a wallet to you. It's kind of fun. Unfortunately, it suggests some really weird wallets. Oh, really? Like the BitPay wallet? Yeah, weird. So I'm including this as a link. We're going to include links to other lists of wallets that we think are good. But we're just going to talk generally about how to choose a Bitcoin wallet. And I think that right now, if your coins are on an exchange, you should choose a wallet based on what you have in front of you right now. So if you have a hardware wallet in front of you that you haven't like set up yet, okay, time to set that up. But if you just have a laptop or a cell phone in front of you, now let's talk about what you're going to use. Yeah, I agree. I think this is your primary device 
is the most important effect. I think maybe you and I had an, maybe it was on air, maybe it was off air. We had a conversation where I was like, you know, I'm just not comfortable storing Bitcoin on my phone. Like, that just feels like a phone is not an appropriate device for something as important as that. Uh, which then I realized was a real old man way of thinking about things. For a lot of people, the phone makes perhaps the most sense. Yeah, this is the Bitcoin Dad podcast. So you're going to get a lot of old fogey <laughs> dad pinions. Back in my day, we did it this way and it worked. Back in, back in my day, we wrote down our private keys by hand. <laughs> we scratched each letter into a metal plate. Uh, no, we should still do that. Don't store your seed phrase on a cloud Slight drive. digression, slight digression. Mm-hmm. How do you know that someone has been in Bitcoin for absolutely ever? How? Oh. Because they handle private keys in a really, really weird way. Yeah? Yeah. So I was hanging out, doing something. Okay. And this guy was like, here, I want to send this, uh, this thing to you, but I, 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 I'm having trouble sweeping this private key. And I'm like, why are you sweeping a private key? Just send it to an address. He's like, no, 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 this is how I do it. And this guy just had like raw private keys, paste it here, copy it there. I mean, I was just like, holy crap, I'm having a heart attack looking at this. You've got a raw private key in the in the um, paste pad of your computer. Oh, my God, this, this seems like a really big problem. Don't do that. Yeah, back in my day, we'd print them out on little pieces of paper, and it was fine because you just fold the little piece of paper over. <laughs> so you couldn't see it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty secure. Yeah. No, I just want to say, like, you know, the seed phrase getting stored on the cloud drive, I have seen multiple stories where, not that you really have to worry about, like, the FBI, but if the FBI can do it, anybody can do it, where the FBI got access to someone's wallet because they got their seed phrase off of Dropbox or Google Drive and then just repopulated their, their wallet. Oh, this happens all the time. So some of the tragic, I lost my Bitcoin stories I've seen are guy stores the 24 words in an Apple note. It was like a note on his iPhone. Someone stores it in their email as a draft email. Someone stores it on Dropbox. It wasn't hacked by the FBI. It was just like someone in the Dropbox company or someone penetrated them and they're just scanning for things that look like seed words and they're sweeping all of them. Yeah, so you really just don't put it online. Don't put it on your computer. Don't put it on your hard drive. Because if somebody gets access to your computer, that might be one of the first things they look for. Right. Seed words, they go on paper or metal if you have a metal backup plate, but they do not go online. You don't take a picture of them. You don't write them down in front of a webcam. You turn the webcam around. You put a privacy screen on it. You don't write it down next to your cell phone. If you're going to write down those words, Make sure your cell phone camera is nowhere around, not pointed at them. If you're writing them, copying them off a cell phone, okay, you hold your cell phone kind of away as you're writing it. But if you're using the computer, just turn off your cell phone, put it in another room. Now, I think that most people are going to be phone first. So let's recommend phone wallets. Okay. Okay. I don't have an Apple device. Mm. What would you recommend on Apple? I'd probably recommend either, I want to say Blue Wallet, but I actually, to be honest with you, I would recommend something that I could also eventually sync to my desktop. And I would want a wallet that maybe I could start on my phone, but move to my desktop at some point. So then I could maybe move it to a hardware, another hardware device, something like that. And the wallet that best meets my requirements for that regard is actually the Exodus wallet. And I know it's not a super popular one for some of the maximalists out there because it also does altcoins, which is a huge problem. If you ever dabbled in altcoins at any point, there's really very few good wallet solutions for them. And Exodus does that. But the other thing that Exodus does fantastic on the mobile device is they have a slam dunk lightning implementation. And that was really what put me over the top. But then in addition, you can then later set up Exodus on Linux, Mac, or Windows, and then you can sync it to the phone using a private key system that doesn't require like 
broadcasting through any cloud servers or anything like that. It's just using the inherent seed phrase system, but they do it in a really elegant way. So on iOS, I would recommend something like Exodus. I also really like Blue Wallet. I think Blue Wallet is fantastic. And there's also a few others that you can connect to an umbral node, like the wallet of Satoshi. Okay, let me summarize that. What Chris is saying is that if you've got Bitcoin and altcoins, now your Bitcoin dad is not going to judge you, though he does shake his head at those altcoins. Everybody experiments in college, man. True, true. Except your Bitcoin dad. Yeah. <laughs> Never touched an altcoin. Except a capitalist dog would say that liquid Bitcoin are an altcoin. So maybe I, I too have sinned. Oh, yeah, man. If you have altcoins, we're going to recommend the Exodus wallet. And this is a full self-custody wallet, right? I mean, they're not custodying these for you, right? They're, you're holding them. Okay. They do run a Lightning node for you, though, for the Lightning implementation. So if you're using Lightning on Exodus, that is custodial. But everything else, we believe, is non-custodial. So yeah. if you've got altcoins and Bitcoin, maybe Exodus. And I mean, I think you could probably use Exodus if you only had Bitcoin, too, because it acts as a full Bitcoin wallet and the lightning aspects are pretty nice. And the sync to a desktop feature is nice without requiring any cloud. Right. And Blue Wallet is another iOS wallet. I will also recommend Blockstream Green for iOS. I know that they have an, just a plain Bitcoin wallet in addition to their liquid wallet. And that might be confusing, though. So with Blockstream Green, you have a Bitcoin wallet option or a liquid option. So oh, you would cool. want to click on the Bitcoin wallet option. Okay. So that might seem a little bit more complicated, but, you know, I think they have a pretty okay wallet. Huh. You know, I've tried about, I've tried about a half a dozen iOS wallets. I've never tried that one. Now, if you have an Android device, I would generally recommend the Samurai wallet. I think it's a pretty solid wallet. I agree. The Samurai team is very focused on privacy. So even though the wallet defaults to using their full node to get you started, you know, if you have to reveal your identity to anybody, Samurai team seems pretty okay. They seem pretty hostile to other projects that are less private. So I don't know. I feel okay with them. And the Samurai wallet gives you the option to run your own backend. And so that's really cool later if you want to be more self-sovereign. For Android, you also have Blockstream Green. You also have Blue Wallet, I think. Yeah. I think so. yeah. Oh, yeah. So there are a lot of options on mobile. Breeze is the wallet I was actually thinking of. Breeze is the one. I'm not sure if Blue Wallet's available for Android. It's Breeze is available for Android. I think those are all really solid choices. I agree with those would all be my top choices for Android as well. Now, what about the desktop? This is where I disagree with the Bitcoin.org wallet finder because they ask, are you a new user or an experienced user? And if you clicked new user, they would recommend Electrum desktop wallet over Sparrow wallet. And I think that's a mistake. I would recommend Sparrow for the desktop because Sparrow is basically the Electrum wallet, but with a cleaner interface and less jagged, sharp edges that you're going to cut yourself and get tetanus on. So that said, Electrum wallet provides a solid wallet. But here's the thing. Electrum defaults to public Electrum servers to get information about the blockchain to basically let you know what your wallet balance is. I actually wonder if that's not why maybe they're recommending it, because that has the benefit of speed. It's very fast, for sure. But those public servers are generally run by surveillance companies, because if you connect to that server, you're actually sending them your XPUB and you're revealing a lot of personal information. So I generally do not recommend Electrum. Also, I lost a bunch of money in an Electrum multisig, so I'm just salty. Mm, yeah, that, that counts. I'm salty. Do you, I don't think, I think this is another factor. I don't think Sparrow has lightning support and Electrum does as lightning, which is such a, the reason why I mentioned this is I really feel like lightning is a great way 
to get Bitcoin into your wallet. I guess I feel like Lightning is still an advanced, a power user feature. To me, it seems like a power user feature. I think it's a new user feature, but I think it just depends on interface. It's just so much more complicated because in addition to your wallet, you also need a channel. And if you're not hosting your own node, that channel is custodial. It just seems to add so many gotchas. Yeah. And maybe that's why Exodus does the hosted Lightning node, because you just get a Lightning address, you bring things in over Lightning or send it out. And so for me, like I've been moving funds around between me and my family using Lightning. And it's so great to move between our wallets over Lightning. It's the best way to do it because it's instant, it's cheap, but they're handling all of the channels and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I see. Well, it sounds very convenient. I think that for the new user, if you want to run to safety right now, run to self-custody, I would recommend just a basic vanilla wallet, not messing with Lightning. As long as the amount in question is over, I don't know, $200, I think it makes sense to hold it on chain. Yeah, and so Sparrow's great for that. I mean, Sparrow really is. And and I mean, I know this is the more power user thing to say, but I know some of you out there are up for the challenge. The, the real combo, the real winning combo is when you can compare, when you can combine it, I should say, with your own node. So you run something like Umbral, and then you point these at your Umbral node. And that really, then you are... Not only are you running your own bank, but you're also running your own validator at that. I mean, it's powerful stuff. Yeah, having your own node is definitely the self-sovereign option. You know, I just pointed BISC at my own node for the first time. Like, I never even... I was just using the public BISC, whatever they use by default. Uh, and I just decided last night to point it at my node direct. Oh my God, I didn't do that. I know, it's, I didn't, it never crossed my what mind. What's wrong with me? It's great. It's great. It's great having your own node for that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, like Umbral, like I mentioned Umbral all the time now, but you can go in there and say, I want to connect a wallet. It gives you a drop down and you choose which desktop wallet you're, you're using at the time and it'll help you get it connected. It's pretty neat. Yeah. And so Umbral is a package of software that helps you run your own Bitcoin node and some supporting software like a wallet backend because most wallets can't just connect to a Bitcoin node. They need a little bit of extra help finding addresses. And so they generally require what's called an Electrum server, which was, of course, initially designed for the Electrum Bitcoin wallet, which is, even though I would say it's ugly and potentially dangerous with multi-sig, it's a pretty solid single-sig wallet. And it's kind of a de facto standard, I guess. Yeah, there's probably a lot of ways to get support for that one online, too. So these are software wallets, right? Where What we've all talked about so far has been software you either run on a phone or on a desktop. And then Umbral is a server piece of software. You run it on a Raspberry Pi or a virtual machine or on a spare PC. That's what I did is I have an old spare PC and I run it on there. The biggest requirement is you need at least 600 gigs for uh, for the blockchain. And you probably want to plan for something like two terabytes if you're going to have it for a while. I'd rather not get into running your own node yeah. right now. I don't think it's necessary either. I just because I mentioned Umbral so often, I just wanted to, I just wanted to say what it is and why people do it. But it's absolutely not necessary for running to just have your own wallet and get your Bitcoin off an exchange. You don't need to worry about it. But it is nice to have. I just don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good. Right. I think that for me, I probably waited too long to set up my own infrastructure because I wanted it to be perfect. Well, and it's also kind of a anxiety-inducing thing to send something you've been investing in off into Ether to your supposed private wallet, right? And so you combine the anxiety of maybe moving the Bitcoin around with the anxiety of trying to build the perfect secure setup for it. And I could see it being a lot easier option to just never do anything. Yeah, that's a good point. And we don't want people to be in that position, right? We want to make it easy. And so something simple is probably the best way to get started. And it is relatively easy. If you take out your cell phone, stick Blockstream Green or Blue Wallet 
on it and you just click through the setup script and you write down that seed word on paper, you are eventually going to get to a screen and it's going to say send or receive. And you click on receive and it's going to give you an address. And now you can copy that address. You can paste it into your exchange. Where do you want to send these Bitcoin? And then you compare it. You know, you spend a moment and before you click send or generally after you click send, there's like a review stage. So you just want to hold up your phone look at the screen, make sure those addresses make sense. And here's the thing, a Bitcoin address is a very long hexadecimal string of numbers and letters. So how do you check it? You know, going one like letter by letter, it's a rough way to go. And that was my first couple of years. <laughs> Comparing it letter by letter would take forever. But what you'll notice is how do people who have been doing this for a long time verify addresses? The lazy verification is they just look at the end and they look at like the last five digits and then they, they match the last five on the on the sending screen to the last five on the receiving screen. And if they match, they're like, it's good. And because these addresses are generated via public-private key math, it's hard to, to create a fake address that's one letter different than your address. Like, it'll be completely different. But if you want to be very careful, what you do is you look at the first five digits and then the last five digits. And if those two match... You're good. You're, you're good. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I've never heard of anyone... The only thing you can do, especially if it's like legitimately with the people in the matrix, it was that they've never done it. It's their very first time. Say you got a thousand bucks in Bitcoin. Send $10 first. Make sure you get that $10. Really good point. Always test with a small amount. You don't have to risk everything the first time. You know, take 10% or something. Send that first. See if it works. If it doesn't work, get into our matrix chat and ask us what happened and we'll, we'll try and help. Another thing that I did, because I DCA, I buy every day, so I, I DCA and sweep, DCA and sweep, accumulate it for a bit, and then I sweep it off the exchange. And because I'm doing this on a frequent basis, I, and almost, I've never seen an exchange that doesn't support this, I've added my wallet address to my address book on that exchange. So I'm not entering it in every time. Now, this is a good idea in some sense. It's a bad idea in other sense. But to keep it simple, I've just added my wallet address to the address book in my exchange. And so I'm selecting it from a dropdown that I've sent Bitcoin to dozens of times. And it still shows the address in there. But that way, I'm not entering it every single time. So I'm reducing the possibility of mistake. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable trade-off. The trade-off being a little bit less privacy, but yep. more security. I don't I don't necessarily want to get into like the whole area of privacy there, but you, you could argue maybe I should use a different address and all that kind of stuff. But for simplicity's sake, and just so I know, peace of mind, this is always going to the right destination. That's how I've implemented it. And um, you know what? I've never lost a transaction doing it that way. A test transaction, an address book entry, I've never lost a coin. Solid. Let's just review. You've got your coins on an exchange. You want to get them off. You sit down and you've got a phone in front of you, iOS or Android. You look in the show notes. You've got some options. Blue wallet, Blockstream green wallet, Samurai wallet. Any of these will probably be okay. You set up a wallet. At some point, they're going to say, put in your seed words. Now, some wallets will also have a passphrase. If there's a passphrase, you write that down with your seed words. The passphrase is actually, in some cases, like a 25th word. So you really want to make sure you write that down. And they will generally have a screen where they test to see that you wrote down the words. You definitely want to do that test, okay? No need to get stressed out. Just write them down and then test. If you pass the test, you did it right. Okay, now once you've written down those words, you go ahead and perform the Chris ultra secure practice of just folding that sheet over so no one can see it. No one will ever see it. It's fine. Then maybe put it in an envelope, maybe write name of wallet and date on it or something and take that envelope and put it somewhere safe. Maybe you have a safe, maybe, a, I don't know. I don't know where people put things. My son just committed his to memory. He's young. He's got that, you know, 
capacity just to remember things like that. No way. He has a seed phrase in like a memory palace. Mm -hmm. He made a memory palace. Oh my gosh. I hope uh, puberty doesn't screw up that palace. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Make sure you revisit the palace from time to time. (laughs) Once a week. For your memory palace every right. week. I mean, that is what some people do. But honestly, I went to Amazon. I looked at some metal plate reviews because there's tons of seed plates on there. And um, I picked one up from Amazon. I picked one up from another group one time. And so I've, I've got a couple of them that I've saved in safe places. Hey, you, get out of Chris's lawn with that metal detector. Right, I know. <laughs> somebody snoo- Next time somebody comes to visit the studio, they'll be snooping around looking for a seed plate. Knocking on all the walls. <laughs> okay, you set up a wallet. On your phone. You could also do it on your computer, much the same process. We recommend Sparrow Wallet on the computer. Also, Exodus Wallet, which is on the computer and also on your phone. So if you are into altcoins, get the Exodus Wallet. Maybe that'll work. They really need to pay us for that. I mean, yeah, they are a you're business. Right. You're right. Hmm. Scratch that. Hmm. Don't use the Exodus Wallet until they pay us. Right. You know, what we ought to do is go hard on these guys until they pay, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. We're going to go so rough on them. Yeah. We're yeah. a bunch of tough guys over here. <laughs> okay. You've got a wallet. You wrote down your seed phrase. And now you're going to log into your exchange account and you're going to navigate to wherever it says, send my Bitcoin to an external address. And now you're going to click receive on your wallet and you're going to get a Bitcoin address. Now, sometimes they'll generate a QR code too. So if you're on your exchange on your computer, maybe you can click on scan QR code and just hold up your the QR code on your phone to the webcam. Or maybe your exchange is also on your phone and so you just have to copy the address back and forth. Go ahead and do that. Verify the first five digits, the last five digits. Everything looks the same. Great. Send. And now remember, your first send is not all your Bitcoin. Your first send is like 10 bucks. 20 bucks, something like that. So if you lose it because you did something wrong, it's sad, but it's not a tragedy. Once you receive confirmation that it's been sent, you turn on your Bitcoin wallet, swipe down, and you'll usually see pretty quickly that that transaction is pending. Okay, now what does pending mean? It means it's in the mempool, but it isn't in a block yet. Now, Bitcoin transactions are not final until they are in blocks. And in fact, there is a small chance that if it gets into one block, that block can be orphaned and another block might replace it. So go ahead and wait for one or you know two, two blocks maybe, depending on the amount. If it's 10 bucks, one block is fine. If it's 10,000 blo- bucks, I would wait two blocks at least, maybe three. Now, just look at your phone. It gets confirmed. It's in there. You know, transaction received. Great. You just took self-custody. You are now a hardcore Bitcoiner because you're holding your own keys. Congratulations. Now you don't need to worry about Coinbase going bankrupt. And I think you'd be surprised how damn good it feels. It feels real good. Light up a cigar afterwards, pour yourself a nice tall glass of scotch or something. You earned it. Yeah, there you go. Don't get overwhelmed by options either. You really uh, can undo any of this for the most part. You can always move between wallets. It's not, you're not making, a, you're not getting married here, right? Just try to make the best choices you can now. Use the links we'll have in the show notes. And uh, once you have it, you can move it later if you, if you choose. Um, you notice we didn't really get into hardware wallets today. No, I don't think today is a hardware wallet day because we want to encourage everybody who still got their funds on an exchange. Do it now. Yeah, just get it off. Now, everyone who's got their own wallet on, in software, like on their phone or on the computer, but are thinking about a hardware wallet, we'll cover that later. And that's a whole nother can of worms. And there is even 
sort of standards, like um, the company Casa, who they uh, they provide a service to sort of help you do multi-sig, help you do custody. So you control it, but they sort of help you do that in a way with some trade-offs. They actually have a chart that shows what they recommend the security setup for different values of a Bitcoin wallet. Oh. So we can go into that in a future episode okay. And, okay. and give some best practice advice. Yeah. And once you've got it, it'll be easy to move it to a hardware wallet, lickety split. So you're going to be set just by getting prepared today for it. And maybe a good opportunity for people to send a boost into the show to let us know what hardware wallets they've used and how it's worked for them. Yeah. Yeah. Always happy to hear those recommendations. I hope that this episode about getting your first wallet up and running and sending funds off in exchange is helpful. If you're going through this process, I recommend looking through the show notes and using our wallet suggestions, a link to a guide on using a wallet or setting up a wallet for the first time. When you're doing this, I think it's a good idea to look at a bunch of different resources, go ahead and start doing it. And if you run into a problem or you're unsure, just reach out. We have a matrix channel in our show notes that you can hop in on using the Elements Matrix client, or you can always reach out on Twitter or send an email, and I'll try to reply as soon as possible. I urge you to please think about getting your funds off exchanges. Times like this, when there's volatility and unknown risk of financial contagion in markets, is when people get rug pulled. So just do your research and give it a go. Okay, thanks for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>